Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And today I have Gina Riley with me. She is, well, her career trajectory has been kind of interesting. And these days, I'll let her talk about how she got here, because that's kind of what she does with people is help them talk about how they got here. So um, a, a lot of what she does parallels some of the things that that I've been doing, except she does it very specifically for those landing uh, and hoping to land new jobs. How do you communicate that? How do you communicate your career path? Um, how do you, what she calls, unpack your career stories? So, Gina, welcome. Let's talk about um, about all this. You you talk about personal development and professional development. Welcome. I do. Thank Welcome you. Thanks for story. having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I essentially sit at the convergence of um, experience with doing executive search. I now do career coaching, um, and I'm I'm also an interview skills trainer in corporate. So I'm using all of that experience to help my coaching clients who are experiencing a career transition. So a lot of people. One of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast is because uh, pretty much 100% of us are in some form of transition, right? I wrote dynamic transitions because it's about transition. We're in some form of transition in relationship, in our careers, in our in our understanding of spirit, in our, you know, in finance, like we're in some form of transition. And career transition is a big deal right now. So, so what are you seeing um, as key points? And I would love to do with you what you do with others, which is how did you get here? Right? Like talk a little bit about that. Cause uh, from, uh, I didn't go into depth in your bio. I have it. I have it right here. Um, that said, it's always better for me when when the guest says, you know what, my life was a a messy whirlwind and here's what it looks like. <laughs> All right. I I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. So um the, the the way I got to where I am and where where I landed today is really something that started in high school. I was 16 and I was a part of leadership development programs where a traveling group of motivational speakers came through my high school and brought together a lot of students and and taught us about communication skills, relationship skills, how to stand up for ourselves and just to be our authentic selves in the world. And when you're at that age, you're already having a challenging time communicating with parents, navigating friendships, you know, and all of that. It was a really pivotal time for me. And as I got exposed to these incredible people, uh, I, I, I saw that that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted other people to feel the way that I felt as I transformed my own self. And so it led me to, to um, study communication in college 
So organizational, interpersonal, intercultural communication. Um, I ran some of my own leadership programs in college and actually got people to pay for them. Mm. My summer jobs were, you know, 10-day camps where, you know, students would come for 10 whole days and learn about these communication and relationship skills. So I was building all those foundational pieces all throughout my, you know, from 16 to 22. Then I had a career in HR. I worked in staffing. I worked for Intel for 10 years. I've moved into um, being an HR business partner after getting a master's degree and then into training and development. And ultimately, you know, I, I foresaw myself standing on stages doing motivational speaking, um, but through life's twists and turns, I, I ended up taking a, a lot of time off to raise two sons. And my reentry was back with a, a former Intel colleague who started an executive search firm 12 years ago. And I have done some executive search for her, but really it was a springboard into um, helping people through career transition because I have seen as an executive search consultant, grown adults ramble their way through interviews and blow it, you know, trying to get executive level jobs. So I'm reverse engineering all that experience and I created a program to help leaders and executives who are in transition. That's great. That's great. Um, prior to recording, you had talked about um, knowing what the key tool is versus having the Swiss Army knife, right? The well, I could do this, and I can do that, and I can do this, and what is it you need? And and we've all seen that people who are so desperate that it's like, I can be anything you want me to be. And it's like, mm, that's icky. There's something yeah, creepy about that. Um, what resonated for me, and then I want to turn it back to you. What resonated for me is the idea here of one sharp sword is one sharp sword cuts through everything. One sharp sword is all you need, not a thousand dull knives. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And so it's like one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. Well, you're saying use that one tool and say, this is who I am and what I do. Absolutely. And that's what attracted me to your podcast. I was like, yes, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. But in my world, you know, for career transition. So I interviewed this brilliant CMO, Chief Marketing Officer Jennifer Davis, and she talked about showing up in interview situations with your sharp tool and communicating that you know how to use that tool based on what those decision makers need in their organization today. And then let them be pleasantly surprised that you have you bring with you a lot of other experiences and skills. So that's your Swiss Army knife. And you can say, I've got the knife. I also have the corkscrew, you know, and I've got the can opener. I have these other things. But if you lead with the entire Swiss Army knife, you confuse the listener and they don't they don't know how to place you in the scenario. They only care about themselves. They care, can you come solve this problem? And they can't afford to get it wrong at the CXO level. That's great. That's, um, you know, it's basic marketing. You don't offer too many choices because a confused buyer doesn't buy. So if the, you know, if the buyers are those interviewing you, you come and say, I've got this. It will help you to solve the pain point. And I guess... Um, part of that is that the interviewee needs to know what the pain points are. Mm 
Absolutely. So, you know, any candidate should be doing their homework, but at the levels that I'm talking that I'm talking about here, um, you know, senior executives need to be doing a lot of many hours of research if they're in those finalist, you know, roles. You need to understand the market. You need to understand the company and the competitors. You need to have researched the key players. Maybe it's the board. What investments are they making? What diet, you know, are they divesting? Um, what are the unique challenges that they're facing? Because you need to be able to speak to that to become the most credible candidate in the pool and persuasive candidate to win the job. Love that. Unique challenges met by what unique selling proposition? The U. Absolutely, the you need to bring USP. your yes. It's your unique value proposition, and how how will that solve their problems? They need to be convinced of it, and so that takes a lot of research, and it takes a lot of questions, and it takes a lot of listening, and not making assumptions until you've built a really good hypothesis. Um, key communication skill is listen. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the key, one of the key communication skills is listening. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. If you, if you're ready to just only talk, that could be a problem. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe maybe someone in our audience is like, my job's fine. It's okay, but it could be better. Maybe I could find a different place. Um, Or maybe even in my own organization, I could find a way to level up. What would you guide them to do first? Like, I'm fine, but I want more, right? Right. Oh, gosh. I could go a lot of different directions with pick this. One. Um, pick, pick a sharp tool and yeah. And let's but I'm going to start with this, and I did a LinkedIn post today about this, which is start with you. Start with your story. Start with your unique strengths and what you value, because that those are the things that you infuse into your storytelling. That's the foundation. That is the baseline, and that's where I start with. All of my clients takes three to four weeks to build up that storytelling. So they're ready to download it to a resume writer. So that is the foundation. But you, you asked a nuance question. And one of those nuances was, I might be itchy and I would really like to move up. That's different than maybe moving out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the strategy could be different. However, um, as of late, I've worked with a couple of people who have had an opportunity to write their own and pitch their own job description. So I was working with two, am currently working with two mid-career professionals. One wanted to leave the organization. They were ready for a change. We were working together for about six months and the organization had a reorg. And now instead of operating in silos, they're going to have a matrix collaborative organization. And she had the opportunity to up-level, have managers reporting to her instead of just the smaller team. And it gave her opportunities cross-functionally. She's like, well, this sounds pretty good. 
So I created um, a lesson for her, if you will, to write her own job description, which required her to research, look at other similar job descriptions of what that could look like and pitch it and pitch it to her senior leaders and say, I'm the right person for this role. And it gave her a lot of fuel to get that job. And she got it, by the way. So she's transitioning up right now. Another story, same exact time. I had a gentleman who was um, looking for an operations leadership role. And so he was targeting externally, found a startup that had been invested in, but they needed an additional executive level leaders. So as he talked to them and found out and researched what they needed, he also wrote his own job description. He has an offer in hand. He's just navigating the negotiation process. And that may or may not work out depending on what they're willing to pay him. Um, And it requires a move. Um, But I've been in positions where I'm helping people move up, Mm -hmm. but it's all up and out. Um, It's all about positioning and making sure you've got that unique value proposition and the sharp tool first. It's awesome. I like the idea of writing your own job description. I think I think 100% of the listening audience, viewing audience, um, that that is a, that's an exercise that we could all do. Um, it's one of those things that I'm a big fan of. You know, um, my background's clinical psych. I took a left turn into leadership development um, several decades ago. Um, I do speaking, I do coaching, and it's about up-leveling. And it's really about, you know, you talked about know what your values are, and that way you can actually assess what value you bring. Mm-hmm. If you write your own job description, you're basically saying, this is who I want to become. This is what I want to live into. Mm-hmm. I think that's a brilliant exercise for everybody. What does your life look like? And mm-hmm. what job will you hold? that allows you to have that life. Absolutely. I mean, what a gift to be able to wrap a job around yourself, right? Yep. Yeah. So when you talk about a unique value proposition of UVP or what we used to call a USP, unique selling proposition, it's basically how are you positioning yourself as different from everybody else that's out there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you propose that people do that? Because you know uh, the frame of reference for self is only self. How mm-hmm. do I say I'm better than somebody? How do I say this is my unique thing? Like, what mm-hmm. would you guide somebody to do uh, to get a perspective beyond themselves? I love I love this kind of work. Um, I guide people through that. I'm curious about how you how you do your magic in this. Yeah, my my framework and my process. So what I would start with is this. I would worry less about the competition and I would first focus on what I uniquely bring because once you get grounded in that, it's undisputable. It's You can't dispute it because you you embody it. So this is my process. I start with with a, a, a career profile assessment. It's called... UMAP, Y-O-U-M-A-P. Um, it can be found at myumap.com, by the way. And I don't, you know, I don't get anything for telling people about that. <laughs> um, so what it is, is an assessment 
that has four assessments in one. I get the top five strengths from StrengthsFinder. It tells me how people do what they do. What are their natural talents? And it's um, statistically valid because Gallup StrengthsFinder has been taken by more than 33 million people. Mm -hmm. The second assessment is a values assessment where my clients will assign their own meaning to their top values. And then we're using the top three to be a benchmark against any opportunities that they have and whether or not they can live out their values when they make that job choice. The third assessment is a skills assessment. It it has a cross-section of your motivated skills, the things that excite you in your job and the things that burn you out or demotivate you. And so it's another thing to recognize what we really like to do and try to avoid jobs that we have to do too much of what we don't like to do. And then the fourth assessment is personality assessment that tells us who we are. And Kristen Cherry, the author of UMAP, um, uses the Holland. And the reason why I don't use a personality assessment as a standalone, meaning like Myers-Briggs, DISC, Insights, any of those, is it only tells me who someone is. It doesn't give me their natural talents. That's how we do what we do. The values Mm. tell me why the person does what they do. The skills tell me what they do. The personality tells me who they are. So we start with this. I do a debrief, two hours, and I and I spend five hours creating a summary, a synthesis of integrating their language in it. So they get one page on how those, how all of that comes together. And then we do a leadership assessment. And I also build a synthesis around that. I use the adaptive leadership model because it's very economical to use. And then the third step to building the storytelling is to have them download their whole story. We spend two hours and they just tell me everything from their education forward. And then with about 10 pages of notes, I'm trying to get that to six to eight and we streamline it. So back to your question, how do we build the unique value proposition from there? We have these synthesis that then we take it and we say, okay, what are the themes and patterns? What are the what were the pivotal moments in the career? What can I pinpoint that I keep doing again and again? How did I, what did I get rewarded for? What did I get jazzed about? Where did I fall short? Where did I have an issue? Right. And so as we build that, we build the tell me about yourself story. It's not quite an elevator pitch. Elevator pitch should be what 60, 90 seconds. I don't spend as much time on that. I'm spending it on the three to five minute narrative. You get in in front of me um, on Zoom and we're going to interview. And I say, tell me a little bit about yourself. I want you to nail that in less than five minutes. Amazing. I love all of that. Uh, the, the Having a personal story that integrates how did you get here um, and highlights skills that highlights the things that you get jazzed about mm-hmm. um it, it allows you to actually filter for yourself is this the right job that i'm going for right <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely and the first thing that i do when um when i have a client who is lucky enough to have more than one opportunity at the same time the first thing I do is I pull out the UMAP and I go right to the values and I say, okay, your top three values out of all the values, 
was this. Can you live that out based on your experiences with the people that you've been interviewing with? Will you be able to live out those values? Because if not, that's what's going to keep you up at night. That's what's going to give you a sick stomach. That's what's going to be a problem if you have those values rubbed up against. So So good. So good. Um, You know, I do that when I work with organizations and organizational leaders, right? What do you value as humans? What are you saying you value for the organization? How does that show up? How are you modeling that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, are really love Simon Sinek and the start with why. The why are our values. Yeah. Yeah. So what define them for yourself? Yeah. What is that? What and and to recognize that they've changed. You have core values that you're going to keep. Um, mm-hmm. This is part of dynamic transitions, right? That you have core values that you know, love, family, integrity, those things probably won't change over time. And you have peripheral values that do tend to change over kind of lifespan. So in your 20s, you have certain values that, you know, basically are look at me. You have um, in your 30s, you're looking at stability, you know, in your 40s. And this is very general. In your 40s, you're looking at uh, legacy and how to integrate that stability. In your 50s, you're looking at uh, health and adventure. In your 60s, you're looking back at legacy and health and adventure. Feed that as well. Um, you've, you've got family that may be important along the way. So looking at, well, how do I create this life for myself? It's different than, um, you know, we, we used to talk about work-life balance, which, which doesn't exist. There's life, right? And how do you want to live it? So I'm loving everything you're saying, Gina. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. When you talk about... uh training managers to be more effective interviewers what do you train them to do because i think we can learn lessons from the other side as well oh my gosh yes i'm reverse engineering this it goes both ways right it does. so with with talents group we've developed a six hour in-house corporate training we've done it over zoom through the pandemic it's not quite as fun because i like to be in front of the group yeah. um but what we've done is we've taken a, a mashup of you know four plus training programs over time um, that we've used, but you know the foundation is v- B- Paul Green, Dr. Paul Green's behavioral interviewing. 
what we've done is we've created a way to explain to managers um, how to craft effective questions that relate to the skills, functional and behavioral, that they need to uncover through the interview process and not use their gut feel and not use, you know, cues or things that will cause biases in that process. So we, we, we give some foundational content on biases, listening skills, how, you know, we do some exercises even on like getting people tuned in to listen. Then we help teach them how to craft effective questions based on the skills that they need to go after for a future job that they're hiring for. Then we have them practice. We do a mock interview and it is incredible. Like just in six hours time, people walk out with a playbook to go and, and assess talent. And it's about asking the right question tied to the skills that you need and then listening and then probing for more information when you're not getting what you need. It's a flexible mindset. As long as you knew, know what your goal is for the interview you and, and you practice these skills, you get better and better. And, and what I say at the beginning of every single interview training is, you know, you may have, have to be here today. Your, your corporation is making you go to training, but I promise you this is a life skill and you will be able to take it with you. If your spouse or partner says, hey, I'm taking you to dinner with a couple people you don't know, guess what? If you know how to ask effective questions, you can get people talking. And who's the most interesting person in the room? The person asking questions and getting people to talk about themselves. That's awesome. I'm curious, you know, one of my, one of my TEDx's talked about perceptual bias. And so I'm curious how you help people uncover their own personal and perceptual biases, because those are blind spots. Usually, you know, people don't know, they may know that they're biased, but they may not know that they're demonstrating that bias in the moment. Absolutely. Um, I will answer this in a couple of ways, but let me start with this is that I'm not, I'm not a trained, you know, a trainer on biases. Like that is not my deep, sweet spot. Fair enough. We cover, we cover um, enough to bring up the fact that we all have unconscious bias. What is it? And what are a few that relate to the interview situations, right? Based on all of the illegal factors like, you know, age discrimination and so on. Right. And the perceptions that we bring along with that. In fact, we do a a kind of a funny legal quiz just to test people and see what they know. Um, But how do we talk about avoiding having the biases impact our decision-making, which is if you are interviewing for skills and you can get from a candidate that they are qualified because they can demonstrate through their past experiences, they have the skill, then you can avoid some of these biases. But, you know, a lot of times we'll make a judgment call right when someone walks in the room. It takes 250 milliseconds for us to make a snap decision about somebody. That's not much time, right? But recognizing, oh, I just made a judgment about how someone looks or what they're wearing, or their skin color, whatever that is, recognizing it and saying, thank you, brain. I just 
need to let that go and focus on this person's skills. How do you manage um, conversations on both sides about cultural fit? Mm-hmm. You know, an, an, applic- an applicant says, well, I want a great culture. And an interviewer says, I want somebody who's going to be a great fit here. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, I want them to mush themselves in and I'll have a gut feel about whether they belong. Yeah. And that's that's where bias comes up. Yeah, and I have so, an answer for that, believe it or not. <laughs> I Well, it's why I asked. I was hoping you would. <laughs> um, so the way we go about it with Talents Group, that's who, who are, where I consult for the executive search, is we, instead of actually saying we're looking for a culture fit, we want a fit to our cultural values. So when we're asking the effective questions to uncover skills, we listen for the behaviors and the behaviors under are the underpinning of our values. So we can hear it. Were they angry when they were dealing with that client or customer or you know whatever that scenario is. Now, the same goes true for in my Gina Riley consulting business with my clients who are in career transition, I'm not finding them jobs, but we we look at their top three values and we say, great, are those in alignment with that company, whether they're a personal value or whether it's one that would be something that needs to get reciprocated from other people. It just depends on the value. That's great. That's cool. What um, what are you seeing in terms of... Um, quiet quitting, you know, (laughs) and how people respond to that, which by the way, I think is a huge misnomer. I don't think quiet quitting is a thing. Um, We used to call it being formally compliant where people would do their jobs and no more versus quiet quitting, which is a, again, I think, I think it's a misnomer. Um, I, I don't have a good answer for it because I'm typically dealing with executives and they're not necessarily quiet quitting. About half of the people I work with have a job and they come to me and say, I need to get ready for a career transition. Help me build that storytelling and get my sharp tool ready, right? The yeah. sharp sword. Um, and those people are a lot less incentivized to even hurry along in their process because they have a they have a paycheck. So they're they're good, but they're not quite quitting. In fact, that's why it takes them a long time, is they yeah. usually have a family and they have that job and they're a leader. Um, when it comes to the people that are already in transition, they may have um, experienced a layoff. Um, they may have been out of the workplace for a little bit. The pandemic affected some people's jobs. It's just taking a while. So to answer that question, the short story is I just don't experience the people who are like, yeah, just kind of let it all go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's good. Um, and for me, it gets back to values, right? If you're going to be quiet quitting, it means that there's something about the, the position you're in that isn't good enough for you. So what does light you up? You know, where do you, where do you get that? Are you seeing changes in the work, uh, in the workplace broadly where, uh, companies are actually considering, um, changing the 40 hour work week or, creating hybrid or, um, uh, you know, flexibility was a key term that came up in some of the research that I was doing. What do people really want? They want, they want to be acknowledged for doing great work and they want flexibility in their jobs. 
know, you work with executives mostly. So usually that's like goal oriented. Let's just get it done. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, what you're seeing and, and, yeah, I think that um, some of our leaders do want want that human contact again, you know, and they'd like to see people in the office and they acknowledge that hybrid is probably the way to go. And I also think that this is my opinion, by the way, um, mm-hmm. but I think that a lot of workers um, want their cake and to eat it, too. So they they want to be at home with their pajama bottoms on and say they're more efficient at home, but then they complain about not being included and not having a sense of belonging. And I I believe that the human interactions and the um, informal ways that we come together as people are the things that create the belonging in the first place. So I think that we're talking about a lot of the, the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in fact, I just I just did a disrupt HR speech in September, and the topic of my disrupt HR speech was, "Are we ready for a latchkey workforce?" And I have two Gen Z sons; they're twenty and twenty-two right now. And what I see on the horizon is we have this group of people who have just weathered a pandemic and arguably had the worst of it. I mean, mm-hmm. we say that our elderly population, it was terrible for them, you know, in that situation. I think the worst thing for our society is going to be these Gen Zers that um, my my youngest graduated class of 2020 from high school. He graduated sitting in his bedroom, right? No formal prom, no formal graduation, no senior party, right? No normal rites of passage off to college, wore a mask all through school, never went to a class in a classroom, and mostly was in one room with one roommate. So where am I going with this? We have a whole group of people who have not developed sharp communication relationship skills and how Mm -hmm. to deal and adapt with adults Mm -hmm. and how to navigate challenging conversations. And a lot of their time has been doing what? On a screen. Yeah. On a screen. So I've had these conversations with my children, (laughs) their friends, and, you know, on one hand, they also want hybrid too, but we are not, we are not building up the next generation of leaders if we're all resistant to being together and we insist that we're going to keep working out of our bedrooms. I love that. I get pretty fired up on this topic. I uh, see that's the part I love is that is that you have strong opinions and um and I don't disagree. You know that that you know uh what 4 years ago we were saying put down the technology and go and meet. And two and a half, three years ago we were saying we can't meet, so pick up the technology so that we can see each other on a screen. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a place of going, all that screen stuff has really kept us apart and we don't know the human interaction nuances anymore. Mm-hmm. We better find a way to learn that. Yeah. Um, I, I love where, where I'm really seeing such an interesting reaction to what I'm saying is at first people have a a, a reaction because it's a they feel like personally this is going to affect them like <gasps> I'm not going to be able to run my kid to preschool or whatever you know whatever the thing is right but then I start talking about 
um, my, my own sons and the fact that they haven't been able to go to class and they haven't interacted with adults, even teachers in person. And they are zooming out. Like they, some of them just checked out that we're paying for school, but they didn't even show up on zoom because they couldn't do it anymore. Right. Mm. So what, so here's, here's the one thing that I say to parents is you expected your children to go to preschool and all the way through high school in person, get them out of the house so I can do my work. But then when they go to college, do you expect them to graduate and spend the whole rest of their lives in their bedroom? Because that's basically what you're saying is your kids are going to go. That's where my kids are at right now. It's like, well, we're not going to go to the office and we will not be there to mentor your kids. I think it's wrong. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so here's the question for you which is about uh, just our conversation. And that is, were there things, are there things that I've left out of asking you? You know, what is it that you like, oh, darn it, you know, if, if there's one thing or if there are three more things I could offer the audience, it would be this. Oh my goodness. Um, so, Primarily, I, I'm speaking to people who are either in a career transition or planning one. So back to what you and I have started with, which is get grounded in your career story, create a plan and know what you offer so you can move forward with confidence. Um, that That's really the baseline of what, what I talk about. Um, we even segued into interview prep as well. All of the things that you get grounded on fuel your career stories, those interview stories, you know, and if, if, you know, you need to practice that with someone, I advise people getting mentors and sponsors, sponsors to help inform their journey so that you can get honest feedback from people. Hmm. And the one thing I guess that we didn't touch on that I, I have as an end cap to my own program, which is a thought leadership component, which is if you're. If you're going throughout your career and you get to a place you get stuck and you're expecting someone to just find you, I call it plucking you out of obscurity, mm. then you you will you will come to a place that you will get stuck. How do you not get stuck? You have to be known, liked and trusted for something. What do you stand for? What do you write about? What do you talk about? You know, what are you known for and what do people come to you for? So I, I would say that of all the things that we talked about, that's one thing that we didn't touch on. Um, it's something that I work with people on is, you know, what what is it that you're going to stamp down into your ecosystem and put it out there so that you continually generate water cool, cooler conversation around the topics that you want to be known for, even if you're not a super deep expert on any any one of those things. Fantastic. Um, I'm taking notes as you're talking. So get grounded in your career story, create a plan. And that plan could be anything from how are you applying to whom are you reaching out to um, how frequently to what medium are you using to do the reach out mm -hmm. um, practice and step forward with confidence. Getting an outside perspective is going to help. And then Back to basic marketing as a thought leader, as uh, a a quote unquote influencer, 
Um, how mm-hmm. are you known, like, liked, and trusted? Known, liked, and trusted is a is. I mean, those are the three things around any brand. Mm-hmm. And so, basically, what you're saying is, be your own brand, <laughs> right? That's right. And and you know, a lot of people <clears throat> start to get nervous. They're thinking, "Ooh, I have to be flashy." You do not have to be flashy. You can be an introverted, deep thinker and still put out great stuff in your ecosystem. It doesn't have to be for everybody. It only has to be for the people in your community professionally. Yep. That's awesome. Um, Being known, liked, and trusted, I mean, that's your community can be just a few people, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. what are you known for? And that's going to inform the story that you tell as well. You know, I'm known I'm an expertise here. I'm an expert here. Yeah. That's fantastic. Good deal. Um, you are suggesting that people find you at uh, GinaRileyConsulting.com. And then there's a masterclass that you offer as well. Right. I will have that in the notes. Will you, um, in the show notes, will you talk a little bit about what the masterclass is that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a 30-minute video. It's absolutely free. And what it does is it walks you through all the moving parts to a successful career transition. And it comes with a PDF workbook. Um, So people should check their spam folders for that because, you know, that's where it goes typically. Um, But what it does is, you know, not everyone can afford to have a coach. And so this is literally like my way of giving a gift to the world, like for all those people that need to see what that plan might could look like, you can start filling in those moving parts for yourself. That's great. That's great. Um, Okay. And if people want to reach you directly, is there uh is there something you suggest? Um, yeah, actually, like through my website, people can send me messages that way. And then also I would say, you know, you can connect on LinkedIn, please do a personalized connection request. Um, let me know that you, you know, I was heard on this podcast, um, because that makes it so much easier. We all get a lot of spam Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. Take Mm -hmm. the extra 30 seconds for a personal request. If your headline starts with, I help coaches with their sales funnel. I'm going to go look at your whole profile and see if I'm going to get a sales pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and it's important for me to have a healthy network. And so I vet every single person, you know, I'm looking. Good Good for you. Um, All right. So LinkedIn, is it Gina Riley at LinkedIn? Yes. Yes. I'm just Gina Riley there. I'm easy to find. That's great because I mean, LinkedIn gets, you know, there are tons of people out there. Nothing fancy. I was able to claim my name, Gina Riley. Lucky me. I think it was probably from the early days. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> been around a while <laughs> all right g-i-n-a-r-i-l-e-y That's just right. so people can find you uh and it's gina riley consulting.com as well i will have all of that in the show notes um anything else that you were hoping i would ask you or that we didn't cover i can't think of anything right now okay i uh I feel pretty complete with this too. So I just want to say, Gina, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yay. Yay. Yes. All right. Very good. Um, Perfect. So our, our guest today, Gina Riley, who talked about 
what it is to be in transition in your career, what you need to be paying attention to, and some of the steps to take to make that transition easier. Uh, again, many thanks to Gina Riley. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I am your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach, and we'll see you here next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.